Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being with me here today. It is, of course, Monday, April the 6th. I hope you all had a lovely weekend inside, staring out into the world, you know, wondering just when you'll be allowed to get back out there and enjoy it. You know, I have seen some pictures of people, you know, going out for walks and trying to do a little bit of exploring. Of course, it is still very important to stay away from others as much as possible while you're doing those activities. Uh, So if you are going for those walks, just remember, of course, to keep your distance. I know I do see a lot of people walking around even downtown with their dogs and stuff that, uh, you know, when they do cross another individual, they are moving that six feet or two meters apart uh, when they do, in fact, you know, have to cross paths with another person. So good to see that people are taking these measures seriously. Uh, Last week, of course... It was pretty easy to stay home, I thought. I mean, there were a couple of days with some pretty pretty extreme wind conditions. Uh, there was that day there, of course, with several centimeters of snow. So honestly, being outside, well, it wasn't something that was really on my list of things to do last week. But this week, well, things may be a little bit different. Temperatures are expected to reach the mid-teens just about every single day of the week here. Uh, quite a bit of sun also in the forecast. So I hope you do have a backyard or a balcony or, or some way of, at the very least, sitting outside and catching a few rays we can all use a little sunshine i think as we go through this uh, pretty dark time of course this is also a short week we have good friday coming up at the end of the week and i am positive that many have been planning for making arrangements to you know have dinner with their family get that extra day on the weekend to spend a little more time together but unfortunately the best option will remain for you to stay home Uh, i was able to ask bonnie henry a little bit about this on friday just sort of how long the system can handle the current trends where we are seeing you know about 50 people a day test positive for COVID 19 that's that's rough rough numbers there it's always seems to be you know plus or minus five six seven eight cases but around 50 a day uh, we'll see if those trends continue here today but she says these next couple of weeks are really our time where we'll understand if these social distancing measures are in fact working this next two weeks is there our time this is our line um, where we're going to understand if those measures we put in place are working and as I mentioned last week, I see a glimmer of hope. You know, we are not seeing dramatic increases in the number of people who are positive, the number of people who are needing hospital care and ICU care every day. We're seeing increases, but it's staying steady. We have the capacity to care for people appropriately, to make sure that we're not going to be overwhelmed and that we're able to care for everybody else who needs health care as well. But we, there are many, many things we are not in control of, and we can't, and we can't yet say what is going to happen. So as much as we all want to get out of the house, uh, you know, as soon as possible, get together with family, of course, with this upcoming weekend. I'm sure many were hoping to have a nice turkey dinner or whatever your tradition might be during the Easter long weekend. It is important, though, that we stick with what we have been doing for the past couple of weeks and continuing to do that for a couple more weeks. Let's not be the ones who decide we are through this and then can attend, you know, a religious gathering or something along those lines and go ahead and congregate with others. We are not there yet, and I do have a real fear about what this weekend could possibly uh, do to sort of disrupt some of the progress that we have made, but I think most people will, will be on the same page. We'll get the message, and we'll get through this thing together, but we'll, we'll see what happens here come, you know, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Uh, well, 
we got a few days to get through here before we get to the weekend, that long weekend that I was talking about. So with that in mind, I do have a pretty good show lined up for you here today on Monday. In the back half of the program, I'll be speaking with the president of the BC Hotel Association. Ingrid Jarrett will join me to talk a little bit about just how bad things are for those in hospitality right now. I spoke on Friday about how a good portion of small businesses in the province of BC are terrified that they may never again reopen. That was a recent survey that showed about one-third of small businesses in the province didn't think they might ever reopen again once they do or we all do get past COVID-19 and that number is just rising the longer and longer that this thing drags on. Well, hotels of course have got to be feeling that heat right now as well. Uh, the industry continues to rapidly decline with more than 4,100 hotel closures and more than a quarter million job losses as of last Thursday. So it's been uh, three days since then. So things may have even just gotten worse since that most recent data. Across British Columbia, you know, those include locally owned, often first or second generation family run small businesses, small family run hotels, if you will. And those are the probably one, the ones that are in real jeopardy in the immediate future. So Ingrid will join me at around the 35 minute mark of the hour to talk a little bit more about what's going on when it comes to hospitality. At the very end of the hour, I'll be speaking with John Schmuel of LoisRates.ca. John's the director of content strategy. And we'll be chatting about what the economic impact of COVID-19 means for different types of insurance. How coronavirus is affecting life insurance. Should you still have car insurance if you're working from home and now doing, you know, not very much driving at all? Should you tell your home insurance company that you're that you're working from home? Is that an important thing to let them know about? We'll uh, get into all of those details at around the 50 mark of the hour. So please stay tuned for that. John Schmuel will join me to get down uh, to break down a little bit more about what the impact is going to be on insurance and how you should maybe be going about adjusting your policies as a result of COVID-19. And coming up next, well. It's Monday, so I'm going to be joined by Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. When it comes to COVID-19, it was announced on Thursday that Interior Health is actively following up on any individuals who had contact with an inmate at Okanagan Correctional Center who has tested positive for COVID-19, the first case in the BC prison system. We have talked about the concerns that come with that, but Kyla and I have not chatted about that issue since an actual case was confirmed. So... Could get into that a little bit. I also have some concerns following a news report yesterday that an inmate out of a maximum security prison in Edmonton has been punished for speaking to the media about his concerns about COVID-19. The 32-year-old inmate has reportedly had his phone privileges suspended as a result of talking to media about his issues. So I have some questions, you know, about people who could receive um, automatic roadside license suspensions right now as well. I mean, obviously, no one should be getting away with things like distracted driving, but at a time when other services are limited... Is that a time to completely remove people from their ability to drive? Or maybe it's the exact opposite. If there was ever a time for people to be not out on the road, it might be right now. So maybe it should be a little bit easier to hand out those roadside license suspensions. I'll get into that a little bit more with Kyla Lee after this. And there was a recent case here in BC where a man said that, well, he was driving. He had to apply his brakes suddenly. A number of items fell onto the floor, including his cell phone. It was this driver's view that he had no choice but to pick up the cell phone from the floor at his feet due to safety concerns. He did not deny that he had the cell phone in his hand on his thigh at the time when he'd hit the brakes. You know, he said he wasn't using that phone to text and the officer did not suggest he was, but the man was handed a distracted driving charge nonetheless. Is that warranted? You know, he wasn't actually using his phone. It was just on his lap. Would he have received that same charge if instead of a phone on his lap, he had, I don't know, maybe a cheeseburger and then picked that up off the floor? Would he still get that distracted driving charge? I'll be getting into all of that with Kyla Lee next, so please, please stay tuned. More Jeff Andrea show will be coming up after the break. Uh, yes, yeah, so be right back with a little bit more of this show.
Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being with me here on April the 6th. Of course, it is Monday, and I'm joined on the phone now by Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you feeling here today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. It's uh, it's Monday, so I'm just trying to get back <laughs> into the swing of things here after a weekend of doing a whole lot of nothing. Um, have you been able to keep yourself busy while everyone else is cooped up or what? <laughs> Nope, I've been doing a whole lot of nothing as well, oh, but it's nice yeah. for a break. <laughs> yeah, it's nice for a break, but this break is starting to get a little bit long, I think, for too many people out there. All right, well, let's get down to some business here. Um, a man gets a distracted driving charge for having his phone in his lap. Um, so, yeah, you, you brought this case to my attention here the other day. Uh, just a bit of an interesting one in the fact that, you know, he hits the brakes, the phone falls to the floor, he picks it up and subsequently gets a ticket. He, he argues that he was not using his phone, um, you know, at the time, he just had it on his lap, but his appeal, of course, is dismissed. So just in terms of the rules when it comes to using a device, I mean, this is kind of, I guess, the, the whole issue around what is the definition of distracted driving when it comes to a device? Because he wasn't using it, but he was still holding it. So what is the line here? Where, where is the line to, to draw when it comes to uh, a device being used that, uh, you know, he, like you said, it wasn't using it. It's probably a black screen, but it was, in fact, in his hands. I mean, this, this does sound like distracted driving, even if he wants to argue he wasn't actually using his phone. Yeah, I mean, this is this is where the line is, and how it shows how fine the line is. Because, of course, we know from previous cases that you and I have discussed, um, having your phone sitting on your lap isn't using your phone. But as soon as the phone fell off his lap and he bent down and picked it up with his hands to move it out of the way of the brake, he committed the offense. Um, and so that's exactly how nuanced the definition of use is in British Columbia. Having it on your lap is fine. Having it in your hand because it potentially poses a danger is not fine. Now, I guess, is this just a case of it being a phone in this particular instance? Like I was saying um, in the intro, you know, would this still be distracted driving if, say, he had a, a burger on his lap and he hit the brakes and that goes flying on the floor and he had to pick that up? I mean, really, he would still be just as distracted as he would picking up his phone. But would he still get that distracted driving charge for having, uh, you know, a different item other than a cell phone in this case? He wouldn't. If this were anything other than electronic de an electronic device, he wouldn't receive a charge or a ticket. I mean, it would be a very big stretch for a police officer to ticket somebody for driving without due care and attention because an object they had in their lap that wasn't electronic fell and they bent down to pick it up, um, which kind of also reveals to some extent a bit of the absurdity um, in the law because it doesn't require you to actually be doing anything that's distracting you in your ability to drive. It just requires you to be touching the device with your hands, um, which in circumstances like this seems almost ridiculous. Now, you know, you, you talked a little bit there too in the, in the initial response about, you know, what if there was some sort of uh, an obstruction to, to your ability to use your pedals, right? Your brakes or your gas as a result of something flying on the floor. So if your phone somehow flew out of your cup holder or wherever the heck it was and it went, you know, in some way to uh, potentially, you know, cause an obstruction towards a, a braking device or a brake pedal in this case, I mean, would that still be a distracted driving charge if you were to just basically trying to remove it from your obstruction in order to be able to actually use the brakes, which is, of course, a, a major safety component when you're driving? Is that still distracted? 
It, it wouldn't be if there was an actual danger that was posed by the phone in this case. And, and, and this was what the individual in this case had tried to argue. He tried to argue that he had the defense of necessity to holding the phone because it was necessary for him to move it out of the way of the brake in the event that it got stuck under the brake while he was trying to brake and prevented him from braking properly and causing an accident. The problem is that in order to raise the defense of necessity, the peril that you're in, the danger, can't be theoretical. It has to be actually real, and you have to be at risk of imminent peril. So you have to take that action or risk serious bodily or, or, or physical harm um, to others or to yourself. That's the defense of necessity. And because the harm that he was trying to avoid was only theoretical at that point, he didn't qualify for raising that defense. But there are circumstances, theoretically, where, where it would be possible to say I was holding my phone because it was posing a danger and I needed to move it to save my life or save somebody else's life. That sounds like it would probably be a pretty difficult defense to argue, though. I mean, just there's a lot of things that seem to be kind of working against you when you're when you're trying to make that case. It sounds like. Oh, absolutely! It would be very, very difficult defense to raise, and it would apply in only a very small percentage of cases that exist. So the likelihood of anybody ever actually being in the circumstances that would lead to them having to make that defense is so slim as to render it extremely unlikely that we'll ever see it in any of our courts. Now, uh, moving on a little bit from that, I wanted to ask about, you know, roadside suspensions or just license suspensions in general. It doesn't have to be a roadside one. Um, you know, is this a good time for people to be receiving those? I mean, there's never a good time, but you know what I mean? Like while we're going through COVID-19 and there's, uh, you know, people who are really only driving, hopefully anyway, they're only really driving for necessary reasons, whether it be to get to work or to go get groceries or, uh, you know, just whatever emergency situation arises that they need to use their vehicle. That's hopefully the only reason that they're needing to use it. So with that in mind, is it a good time or is it a bad time really to take away uh, someone's ability to drive? I mean, um, you just, I'm just trying to think of it on a, on a, on a you know, per person who needs their vehicle to use, to, to, to do their errands. Um, and I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, the need for people to, to use their vehicles for certain things, and it might not be a good reason to, to give them a roadside suspension or to give them a, a three or four month suspension because uh, they need their vehicle to live their lives. Um, this seems like a really difficult one here for me just during COVID-19 because it might be the best time for people to be sitting at home and not using their vehicles. But if they do need it, um, you know, it's pretty important that they have that ability to do so right now. So just, I'm, I'm just curious kind of where you stand on the issue of people receiving um, suspended licenses at this point in time. I mean, should they be really arguing for their, for their reason for needing a license at this time more than ever if, if they were to be handed a suspension? Yes, absolutely. And the courts have even recognized this. There was a case that came out uh, early last week um, where an individual was about to be given a roadside suspension. She'd appealed it. She was unsuccessful in the appeal. And the court says now is not the time to be putting somebody on public transit who needs to be driving in the course of their work. And there was evidence that her work was something that would be continuing in the face of COVID-19. Um, and so the court declined to impose the driving prohibition right away, which is what ordinarily would happen, and instead says we're going to uh, uh, prevent the driving prohibition from starting until the end of April, to essentially to give time for this crisis hopefully to pass. Um, and if more time's needed, then the parties can work it out between themselves. But now is not a good time to be putting people on public transit and exposing them to greater risks um, because of the COVID-19 outbreak. So the courts are even taking that into consideration. 
But that sounds like it's probably pretty dependent on the person receiving a suspension to make sure that they prove that they do really, in fact, need their, their vehicle. Because, like I was saying, I do think, you know, there's a lot of people who maybe were just going out to run a quick errand, and that's why they were in their car, and maybe they got a suspension uh, while doing whatever it was at the time where they were just going to run that simple errand. And, you know, they don't really need their vehicle very much right now, and it's kind of a perfect time to be sitting at home and not driving. So is it really important in these kinds of situations to prove your your real need for your vehicle during a time like this? It is. And and obviously, if you're a person who's an essential services worker, if you're an employee at a grocery store, if you're a, a nurse or a doctor, if you're providing some type of service that can't be shut down right now um, while we're all going through this pandemic, um, then you should be definitely disputing your driving prohibition because the, the courts and the tribunals have to take those factors into consideration and they have to make a decision that um, considers your personal circumstances and public safety. And if you're providing a service that's necessary for public safety right now, then taking away your license, um, even if it's justified, might not be the best decision in the interest of public safety, and you could have a good defense to a driving prohibition. All right. I think that's good advice for anyone listening who might have any concerns along these lines. A uh, couple minutes left here, Kyla, so I did want to ask one more thing here, just in relation to, to we have talked, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks, I believe, about, you know, concerns about COVID-19 entering the prison system and just what that would do to inmates you know, how rapidly this thing could potentially move through a jail if it were to, in fact, be there. We saw on uh, Thursday the first confirmed case at the Okanagan Correctional Facility. Um, but I just wanted to tie it back to a situation in Edmonton where a prisoner lost his phone privileges for speaking to the media about his concerns about how COVID-19 uh, could be impacting the facility there. So I just wanted to ask about your concerns when we're talking about, obviously, there's a major issue when it comes to COVID-19 potentially running through the prison system. But when a prisoner is just trying to voice their opinion and voice their concern about how things are being handled and then loses their phone privileges as a result. I mean, how concerned are you when you see stuff like this happening when uh, clearly there's a, a public health risk um, at, at, in effect here? I'm incredibly concerned about hearing about prisoners being disciplined for speaking to members of the media or for speaking out about their rights when they're in jail. Just because you're in jail doesn't mean that you have to be put at an increased risk in a pandemic. And by punishing people who are saying we're at an increased risk because the, the government and correction services aren't doing you know X or doing this thing that's putting us in, in greater danger, those people shouldn't have to face consequences for saying that. We need those people to speak out. And it reminds me a lot of, of that situation that we saw unfold in the U.S. over the last couple of weeks with the naval ship that had the COVID-19 outbreak and the uh, the commander of the ship being fired uh, as a result of, of speaking out and being a whistleblower about this. You know, people who shouldn't be punished for speaking out are being punished, and, and I find that absolutely reprehensible. Yeah, I got a lot of issues with it as well, especially as someone who relies on people coming forward and, and speaking what their concerns are to us. I mean, that's something that we want to encourage and not and not try to muzzle people from doing. So definitely some issues there. Thank you so much for your time, Kyla. Always love talking to you and uh, lots of good stuff there as well. Um, appreciate you coming on and doing this, and hopefully we can catch up again next Monday. I know it's Easter Monday, but uh, I'm still going to be here, so hopefully we can chat then.
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Right on. That was Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Yeah, lots of good stuff to go over there here today. And yeah, just a lot of concerns about, you know, the the fact that people are being punished for trying to speak about their concerns. If you have an issue, you should not be afraid to talk about it. And uh, unfortunately, that's going to be the case for some people in some situations. And I guess, uh, you know, obviously, when you're an inmate in prison, there's obviously a number of concerns that are already thrown around when it comes to uh, what you have done in your life. And, you know, now that you're trying to speak out about concerns about what's going Going on when it comes to COVID-19 and your issues with that, uh, being punished for that, I, I, do have a, I do take some issue with as well. And hopefully we're able to get all the information, whether it comes from a prisoner itself or, or from a guard or somewhere. But uh, as this thing kind of progresses, like I said, a first case confirmed on Thursday in an Okanagan Correctional Facility. And uh, I think it's only a matter of time before things get worse, but we'll find out. And hopefully someone's allowed to talk about it when, in fact, that does come true. All right. Well, coming up next, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about what's going on with the BC hotel industry. So please stick around. More Jeff Andrea show coming up after this. The voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the show here on Monday. The hotel industry in Canada has been one of the hardest hit by COVID-19. The industry is continuing to rapidly decline with more than 4,100 hotel closures across Canada, more than a quarter million job losses, and these numbers are just of last Thursday, so there has been some time for those numbers to go up even more. Across BC, of course, those include locally owned, often first or second generation family-run small businesses, and those, of course, are probably at a bigger risk of, uh, of financial hardships as a result of this global pandemic. The government of Canada has announced a number of measures to support businesses, which are significant, but will it be enough? I'm joined on the phone now by the president of the Hotel Association of Canada, Susie Grenell. Susie, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so a bit of a last-minute switch here. We were set to have Ingrid on from the BC Hotel Association, but now, Susie, you're joining us instead, so I really appreciate you taking the time here. Um, So like I had said, it's been a couple of weeks since we really last talked about uh, what's going on in the hotel industry when we had Ingrid on. um, You know, like I said, it's been about couple of weeks now. I mean, just how have the last couple of weeks been for the hotel industry across Canada? I imagine things have only gotten worse over those over that time frame. Oh, 100 percent. You know, our industry has been, you know, virtually annihilated. Um, And we were one of the, as you mentioned earlier, one of the first hits in a matter of 48 hours uh, in early March. uh, We saw our business drop by about 90 percent. And so uh, today we're running at about, uh, you know, three or four percent occupancy um, as a national average across the country. And what that means is that we've had uh, the majority of the industry have to close because at that level, you just can't sustain a business operation. And so we've, we've closed a lot of hotels across, across the country of the ones that remain open. They're open mostly for humanitarian purposes at, at this point to support uh, public health and other efforts. Um, and uh, certainly looking to the government to uh, to support to support our sector so that we can pay the bills until we see recovery at the other side of the uh, of the tunnel here. Yeah, and, and I guess what is your confidence level in that uh, the ability for that to happen right now? Um, you know, just in talking in general with uh, all kinds of different sectors when it comes to COVID nineteen, small business being the one that seems to be the hardest hit right now, just in terms of their ability to be able to recover, uh, uh, handle things in the moment, and then recover once we do in fact get out of this pandemic. And I imagine that would be the same thing here when we're talking about hospitality providers. Some of those smaller players are probably a little bit worried that they may not be able to to rebound once this thing is over. 
Uh, well, you're absolutely right. No, you know, nobody is sitting on a huge mine of cash that's going to be able to get them through, you know, three to six months of sustained zero revenue. And that's virtually where our industry is sitting right now. There is, there is less than 5% revenue coming through the door. Um, and certainly, you know, when people think about the hotel industry, and you quite rightly pointed out, it, it, it is, you, a lot of people see sort of the big hotel chains. But each of those hotels are owned individually by somebody in the community. Um, or they might own one or two hotels in the community or maybe even three. Um, those are the people that we're, we're really worried about. The owners of these hotels, 78% of them being small and medium-sized businesses um, across, across the country. That's a national statistic. Um, so certainly we are worried about them being able to reopen their doors at the end of this. Um, in terms of your question on confidence in the government, the government's made some really important steps in the right direction here, uh, supporting first, um, you know, frontline, uh, not only just frontline workers, but the, the public health initiative, vulnerable Canadians. They have made some very strong announcements for, for businesses. Um, but, you know, with, with a government that is used to developing any one of these policies in the span of 12 months, now having to do that in a 24-hour period, um, there are going to be gaps and there's going to be glitches in the implementation. And that's really where we find ourselves right now. Some of the liquidity measures that have been announced are not accessible um, because of either the definitions or because of the machinery or because the lines are just jammed or because, frankly, our industry has been so hard hit that we're not really a good client for the bank. And so we're working with finance officials in the Prime Minister's office to try and work through some of those issues. Uh, I think we will come out the other side of it, but, but there is a lot of work that, that still needs to be done. Yeah, and I did want to ask a little bit about some of the, the bigger players involved, but you kind of answered my question when you said, you know, there's, you see the big hotel chain name on the, on the building, but that's not necessarily who owns it. There is uh, those smaller players involved in an individual basis. And you, what would you say, 78% of all hotels are owned by some sort of local business owners? So that, that I think, speaks volumes to just how um, critical they are in, in local facilities when talking about who actually owns them. It's not necessarily right one big corporation that is owning each individual hotel, but they just sort of maybe have the, the operating rights, I guess, if you will. Um, so with that in mind, I just, you know, is, is there a, a lot being done to, to use the space right now? You, you mentioned there's some things that are going on in the industry to, to try to help, you know, whether it be the healthcare system, deal with, I don't know, maybe some overflow or things along those lines. I know I've heard of some places offering up rooms as, as like homeless shelters to be able to help with physical distancing since rooms are not being used. What kinds of stories are you hearing from hoteliers about how they're using their rooms now in a different way than they normally would? Yeah, there's a lot of that happening right now. All kinds of conversations at local levels, um, all kinds of individuals and groups of people who are in need of shelter, um, especially in light of the physical distancing uh, measures. So <clears throat> we're involved in, 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 a, in a lot of conversations around that right now. And so, so what that looks like is, um, yes, some hotels being used as, as shelter facilities, um, lots of work being done to support frontline workers um, so that they don't have to uh, worry about infecting their families. Um, so, you know, all kinds of hotel companies are raising money to donate free rooms or putting together, you know, corporate packages that are, you know, very, very, you know, even below affordable so that, so that they can um, have, have a, a room available to them. 
um, you know, even even as we go into the spring and the flooding seasons and and wildfires, we're having conversations uh, with with the groups that are org- that you would usually organize evacuation um, initiatives where people would be put in, let's say, an arena or or something that has really close quarters. Um, so hotels are being used now or thought of as a as a solution when people need to observe social distancing and they can do so more easily in a hotel. So all kinds of different uses for hotels uh, over the course of this period, including people who just want to self-isolate and, and they're worried about infecting their families. We're welcoming those guests at this time as well. Yeah, I have heard of that. Uh, I know a couple of weeks ago or maybe even three weeks ago, I guess now where people were uh, coming back from, from vacation from out of country and they didn't want to uh, you know, be with their families just out of that concern. So some of them were going into hotel rooms or, or maybe their family would in turn go to a hotel room once their loved one did come home in order to not have any sort of cross-contamination with them. So I know that that has been something of a, of a, a way to at least fill some rooms, but uh, that's you know not really going to help when the, in the grand scheme of things when it comes to this. Uh, I also just wanted to ask you, Susie, while I have you, you know, I talked a little bit about just the number of layoffs that have occurred as a result of, of COVID-19 here. I believe it was some uh, a quarter of a million people have been uh, laid off or have lost their jobs as a result of what's going on in the hotel industry specifically. I mean, are things just going to get worse? What kinds of people are even still working in hotels right now, just, um, uh, you know, given that there's not a whole heck of a lot going on? Yeah, so the people still working in hotels, you know, it's what's called a skeleton staff. And so you would have, you know, a maintenance individual, you know, um, and janitorial services. You would have one front desk agent. You would have maybe a general manager. Um, so, so four to six people maybe per property um, who are there just to keep the lights on and, and make sure that things are functioning. Um, with the physical distancing recommendations by public health, there's not a lot of interaction between a guest that would be in a hotel uh, and even the cleaning staff or, or, or staff in general. Um, you know, people are going and having a much different experience in a hotel right now. Room service is being, you know, dropped off at the door. Linens are being dropped off at the door so that there's no, uh, you know, we're not putting any of our employees at risk. Um, because we don't know who's staying in the hotels and, and what their intention is on, on being there and whether or not they have symptoms of COVID and, and they're, they're trying to keep their families safe. Um, so so that, is certainly, uh, that is certainly playing out um, as we speak. Well, Susie, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and speak to me today. I think there's... A long way to go here in the be able in the ability to recover from from all of this that we're dealing with, and you know every industry is dealing with it, and the hotel and the hospitality sector is no different. Anything else that you want to add here before I let you go? No, thank you for having me. I mean, I think there's these are these are dark days, and you know what 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 warms my heart is all of the stories that we're seeing of of not only our industry but other industries stepping up and really supporting this effort. Uh, I'll leave you with one nice story for your listeners is, um, you know, we have our truckers who are, who are busy trying to get food into our grocery stores. And now because uh, a lot of the hotel closures, they have nowhere to stop, to rest, to shower. So we've seen some hotels reopen along some of those really high traffic regions so that, um, you know, our, our trucking industry can, can go, they can take a hot shower. Um, they're offering complimentary food and, and coffee, you know, so that, so that they can have a place to rest. Um, you know, raising money for hospital workers so that they have a place to stay free of charge without having to worry. Um, you know, these are beautiful stories, and it's, it's just nice to see the humanitarian effort amidst all of the darkness. 
Well, thank you very much for sharing that. It's a nice, uh, positive way to, to kind of end things up here. So thank you so much for taking the time, Susie. Really do appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can all get through this thing together. So thanks so much. My pleasure. Have a great day. You as well. That was the president of the Hotel Association of Canada, Susie Grinnell. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time, Susie. Really do appreciate it. So, yeah, we did have a last-minute switch there. BC Hotel Association CEO Ingrid Jarrett was supposed to join me, but uh, just a quick last-minute last minute change in schedule. So I took Susie instead, and that was some great information. So I really appreciate her taking the time to call in and share what's going on with the hotel industry. Uh, one of those industries that, of course, is very hard hit, but every industry is very hard hit. There is no exceptions really right now when it comes to what's happening uh, as a result of COVID-19. We all just have to kind of keep powering through and get through this thing together, and, and we'll get there. We'll eventually get there. Uh, the the uh, provincial health officer has said it many times, says well, we will get through this eventually. We all just need to continue to do what we have been doing, keep our social distancing measures in place, our physical distancing measures in place, whatever the term you want to use now. Just keep doing that for a couple more weeks. We'll see where we are afterwards. I know April, the whole month of April is going to be uh, a bit different, but maybe, just maybe, We'll uh, see some things start to rebound in May. I'll just keep my fingers crossed because that's all we can do right now is hope and pray and wish, and then we'll see what happens when the actual month does come to an end. All right, well, coming up next, let's talk insurance. How should people be handling their insurance policies during a pandemic, and how does a pandemic impact the insurance industry in general? We'll be chatting more about that after this, so please stay tuned. opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Monday, April the 6th. Thanks so much for tuning in. COVID-19 is, needless to say, wreaking havoc on life as we know it, and it feels like it is impacting every nook and cranny of our lives. But what does that mean for different types of insurance? After all, certain insurance, you know, can protect you and your loved ones from financial loss or hardship, and that is something that most people, I think, are dealing with at this point in time. I'm joined on the line now by the Director of Content Strategy for LoisRates.ca, John Schmuel. John, thanks so much for coming back on. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So a uh, number of different little things to go over here in this in this conversation, but let's start with life insurance. Um, you know, obviously COVID-19 um, is probably having a lot of people concerned about, uh, you know, just their health in general. So with that in mind, I mean, have you heard of a, a number of changes or anything that is uh, impacting life insurance as a result of this pandemic right now? Yeah. So number one, we work with a lot of brokers and they always say that when there's big catastrophes, there's always a spike in interest in life insurance. Um, so that makes sense, right? We started when, when with COVID-19. Uh, you know, we're, we're hearing the stories out there, right, of, of, of people passing away from this. So you start to think, okay, if something were to happen to me, should I have life insurance? The one thing I would say is this shouldn't change your mind about life insurance. Life insurance is really um, if you have dependents or, or if you have, like, a mortgage with, you know, your, your spouse or partner, uh, life insurance is designed to provide a benefit if something were to happen to you. So, so if you're a 24-year-old uh, living at home and you have no no debts, um, you probably don't need life insurance. And, and you shouldn't rush to get life insurance because you're like, oh, no, what if something happens to me? I should be prepared, right? So I would say don't let this event change your mind about uh, life insurance. But it could start getting you to think, okay, maybe maybe I did need life insurance and um, I, I've never even thought or cared about it before, right? Life insurance is really if you have uh, someone who's relying on you financially or you share a debt and they'll get stuck with it if you pass away, 
um, that's what life insurance is there to protect you. Now, when it comes to life insurance, like you mentioned, a lot of people are probably running out or thinking about life insurance in a way they haven't before, and whether they should or not, it doesn't change the fact that it is going to happen, right? So if someone is maybe like panicking and is worried about what could happen if they were to catch the novel coronavirus and, you know, home unfortunately perish as a result, hopefully that doesn't happen to anybody, but we know it is happening out there and there are some people who are worried that that might happen to them. Um, you know, how difficult is it to get life insurance right now? I mean, when we're talking about life insurance, I'm sure you need some sort of a medical exam to do that, and that's it's not an easy thing to get right now. So, um, you know, even for people who are sort of thinking about it in the moment, I mean, it's probably a pretty challenging time to, to try to go about, uh, you know, having a policy right now. Yeah, I mean, there's there's various forms of life insurance out there. There's no medical uh, that you can get without uh, a medical checkup. That tends to be more expensive, though. Some life insurance providers have been moving away from medical checkups, you know, if you're young and healthy. Um, so it's still possible. I would say talk to a broker. Everyone's situation is different right? Um, what we're hearing right now is life insurance rates aren't going up. Uh, that, that could change. Um, but we're not, we're, we're, when we're talking to our broker partners, no one's saying, oh yeah, they're going way up. There's so much demand. That's not happening right now. So, you know, anyone concerned about that? Um, you know, life insurance always prices in risk. Um, if, if you're, uh, you know, if you have an underlying condition or if you're older, you're going to pay more for life insurance. That's normal. So that's something to keep in mind when, whenever you're shopping and, and looking at life insurance. Now, what about what about home insurance? Right, a lot more people are home a lot more frequently right now. Uh, people have, you know, maybe even taken a lot of equipment home from work to be able to do their job at at their home office or at their home couch, whatever they have turned into their place of business for the time being. Um, you know, what what kind of an impact are we seeing on home insurance right now as a result of this? Uh, you know, is are things staying the same? Are things going up? I mean, how does one being at home more often impact impact home insurance in general? I mean, just is that something that people should be paying? more attention to and you know it should they be maybe making inquiries to see if their rates should be going up or down as a result yeah so definitely so the big thing that's happening is a lot of people that maybe were working offices are taking their equipment home and working out of a home office now so the number one thing that you should find out is okay are you know is this expensive computer that my company gave me is this covered under the company insurance plan it might be covered under the company insurance plan but your company might have a policy that if you spill a drink on that laptop at home, you're gonna to have to replace it. So I would say, figure that out first. And then it could be a situation where you call your home insurance provider and you tell them I've got this expensive insurance and, and, and covering it involves getting content insurance. Um, and that's a type of insurance under uh, an add-on as part of your home insurance policy that covers the items in your home if, if a flood or fire happens and you know you lose the food in your fridge, your TV, your computer, uh, contents insurance helps you cover that. So. Um, you know, you could call your insurance and say, I now have this laptop. I want to make sure, you know, what's the maximum I'm covered for? Because they could say, we'll pay uh, for your, the things in your apartment up to $1,000. Well, maybe you want to bump that up to 2000 So that's something to start thinking about. Or your company's insurance could cover it. You're fine. Um, these are all things to start thinking about in a home office. Uh, you know, the other situation is that, well, we're social distancing, so this is a bit of a moot point. But your home insurance isn't going to cover, potentially, if you have... Um, you know, clients visiting you or employees working in your in your space and, and, and they hurt themselves, right? You, you might need a special um, uh, business insurance, home insurance add-on uh, to, to, to cover that. So these are all things you need to, to keep in mind uh, when we're thinking about working from home. 
Uh, well, John, uh, unfortunately, we're pretty much out of time. I do have a few more questions here to ask you, so maybe I can catch up with you a little bit later and we can uh, do a, a little bit more of an extended ch uh, chat a little bit later here. But uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I really do appreciate it. Unfortunately, like I said, I kind of ran up against the clock here, but I'll give you a call later and hopefully we can uh, figure out a little bit more time to chat here if that's all right with you. Definitely, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. And lots to talk about insurance all the time. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for doing this. And like I said, we'll, we'll chat soon here. All right. That was John Schmuel, the director of content strategy for lowestrates.ca, giving some good advice when it comes to home and life insurance. We did have some questions here on auto insurance to get to. Unfortunately, I did not get to them here today. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with John here later in the week, hopefully, and, and get a little bit more into what this means for our cars and automobiles. Now, uh, that fewer and fewer of us are driving them around, as we talked about with Kyla Lee earlier. You know, fewer and fewer people are on the road, but uh, those who are on the road probably do, in fact, really need their vehicle. So how does that impact your auto insurance? Well, we'll chat about that at another time. Well, thank you so much to everyone for listening. And of course, a big thank you to uh, all my guests for joining me here today. The show does not exist without any of you guys. So on that happy note, uh, like I said, I want to thank all my guests for joining me and a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Enjoy the rest of your Monday and I'll be back here tomorrow at nine.